Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is episode 34. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. You're not going to add in the bit about uh, if you're some weirdo that doesn't nope. like to... Okay. Not this week. All right. I don't have shit to talk about. Oh, I don't either really other than I got my Sovereign Citizen and the Nonprofits t-shirt. Yeah. And you all. have another one on the way, right? Yes, I have a shirt from the Delta Bombers coming yeah. as well, too. Anyhow, so what do you have for this week, Sarah? This week I have true crime. What? No, I'm kidding. It's paranormal. I was say, somewhere along the line <laughs> you lied to me at some point. It's paranormal. Okay. Yeah, I'll be talking about the old Baraboo Inn in Baraboo, Wisconsin. All right. What about you? What you got? I also decided to do paranormal after you told me that, but mine actually has a plausible explanation of what caused it. Oh. Kind of like how I did with the Crawfordsville monster. Right. Not that I plan on doing this on every episode. I do paranormal or cryptid-wise. It just happened to be the second time I do one of these like this. There's an explanation for it, possibly. So you'll just ruin, ruin the dream for everybody, no, huh? No, it's not going to ruin the dream. Because <laughs> it's more... Actually, it's not really paranormal. It's more of a tall tale, I guess you could say, really. Or folklore. Okay. I'm not sure what you would really call what, it. What is the... The Greg Ghost of Quartzsite, Arizona. Gray Ghost? The Red Ghost. Ah, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. My brain's not with it. So, nothing for either of us to have anything to talk about. So no. It's been a, a rather boring week. So are you ready to get started, then? Are right. you? Yeah. Okay. The Old Baraboo Inn is usually described by most as a historic bar or restaurant, while others describe it as being more than likely the most haunted, um, one of the most haunted buildings in the Midwest. All right. So Baraboo itself is a town in Sauk County, Wisconsin, which is just a bit south of the Wisconsin Dells, which I would love to visit sometime. It is the largest city in the county, and it's hometown to the Circus World Museum, which is the former headquarters and winter home for the... Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Yes, sir. Give me a hard one next time. <laughs> which led to Baraboo being nicknamed Circus City. The old Baraboo Inn is what the building is called now, but that's not where the story started. German couple Anna and George Bender started the build on their brewery in 1864 called the Miller Brewer Miller Bender Brewery, and they finished their build in 1868. Sadly, George died in 1874, and that left Anna and her son to continue the brewery's operations. They also opened a two-story hotel called the Bender House, though some call it the Bender Hotel, and that was built in 1879. This building held a saloon inside on the first level and a boarding house or hotel on the second level, this is what will come to be known as the Old Baraboo Inn in 1962 when it was bought by Rose and John Dombrowski. This is where the name change happened. And just to keep it consistent, I'm just going to call it either 
the Old Baraboo Inn or the Inn throughout this whole thing. Okay. The Old Baraboo Inn was first known as a tavern and brothel. It sat directly across from a, a railway station that connected the town of Baraboo to Mobsterland, Chicago. During Prohibition, it is reported as being a speakeasy, and due to its connection to Chicago, mobsters usually paid the tabs of everybody that was in attendance if they happened to be in the building at that time. Not only was the speakeasy selling alcohol, there was a brothel run by some of the mobsters as well, and illegal gaming opportunities. <gasps> what? Yeah, apparently mobsters were into some shit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mobs had become prominent at this bar. There were well-known ones as well as unknowns that made the speakeasy basically their haunt. They were there all the time. One of the mobsters that frequented the most was, take a guess. Oscar Face Capone. Yep, Al Capone. There weren't a lot of places during Prohibition that had illegal drinks on tap, but the old Baraboo Inn did. Being that this was a mob-run establishment at the time, death was surely a factor. You think? No. You think there was some death in this building, maybe? I thought it was all rainbows and unicorns in there. It is. The basement was used as an area within the Baraboo Speakeasy for killing the rule breakers. And this was usually carried out by a weirdo that, plain and simple, loved killing. They didn't just kill people down there. They tortured them as well. There's still an execution pole down in that basement that still has the bullet holes from where people had sat against it while being executed. But prior to them being executed... They usually had their bones broken or some other equally painful injury happening to them before they were shot. Those that were not able to pay their gaming debts, those that flirted with the wrong waitress, and those that tried to cheat at the game they were playing, they all suffered and died there. Whatever mobster was tasked at enforcing rules at speakeasies back then usually weren't very forgiving. In fact, they weren't at all. They were there to enforce the rules, so if you fucked up, you paid. It's as simple as that. Yeah. They do what Pretty they much were... Yeah, fucked around and found out. At, yes. They knew what they were there to do, and there were zero exceptions made. The people that broke the rules, any of the rules, were either killed by the mobster themselves or handed over to the executioner for them to handle it. In its 155-year history, the Old Baraboo Inn has been home to a saloon, a hotel... Brewery, restaurant, billiard hall, boarding house, and bar, which is what it currently is. With its proximity to the train station, rumors have swirled around for decades that this spot was host to flappers, gamblers, prostitutes, and gangsters, all of which were just looking to have some fun. That said, there was a lot of death on the grounds of the old Baraboo. So the building itself sits on a quarter-acre corner lot, and has 3,263 square feet of property, which includes a small parking lot that only has 18 spaces. That's a very tiny parking lot. Yeah, well, this place is, what, is it currently over 155, as you mentioned earlier? Yeah. So, yeah. You think that you that would... parking lot was made, that was like a horse lot, basically, so... Well, yeah, but you would think that they would... Uh... Purchase more land for a parking lot? You would think that they would make the lot bigger... Especially now being, like, landmark, mm-hmm. they'd have more room. They'd but create more room. If it's on the National Registry of Land Historical Places, they can't do that. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. But I don't know. I don't know that it is. I didn't look into that. I probably I'm should sure have. I'm sure it is. The building itself is a two-story Victorian with a recently renovated basement. 
The outside is painted red, which earned it the nickname, the Lovely Red Lady. There are beautiful windows throughout the building, and inside the main area is the home to the restaurant that's in there, or the restaurant and bar. While the back of the building housed two separate areas, both areas had a bar and room for, like, private dining, like events, birthday parties, whatever. It now has air conditioning, along with some other modern uh, amenities, but at the heart, it's still just a small town bar. The time that it had been a brothel, it was located on the second floor. There was a hidden stairway that led up to the second floor from within the tavern itself. Present time, this staircase is now on the outside of the building, so that the people that live above and rent those two apartments mm -hmm. can come and go as they please without having to, you know, go through the bar every time they want to leave or come back. Right. Which, you know, understandable. I wouldn't want to do that either. Yeah, it'll be like a little out of care and a three arms fulls of, well, not three arms full, like both arms full of fucking shopping bags in a bar on a Friday night. Yeah. Like trying to carry all of your groceries and you've got these random drunk ass people. Are you want some help, man? Yeah, I need some help, bro. No. <laughs> I need you to get your drunk ass off me. I'm just trying to do, you know, I'm trying live to my live life. my life. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm all imagining is one guy with like both arms full of bags just counterbalancing like, himself. Kind of like arms like Ralphie from Christmas Story waddling his way through this bar oh, trying to goodness. fit through to, to get to the stairway. I was thinking more like a drunk person trying to help carrying stuff, like counterbalancing themselves, like right. we saw the dude in the, the right. liquor store the one time. Oh, good lord. In 1988, there was a massive fire inside the inn. It sat untouched for quite a while and then started to deteriorate, as any building would. There were vandalisms that took place while it stood, silent and empty. And there was no choice but for Rose and John Dombrowski to walk away from it. For 10 years, it sat there, slowly decaying, before a man by the name of B.C. Farr, who I'll refer to from here on out as just Farr, came along and bought the fire-damaged building. He had the funds and the dream to rebuild this place and bring it back to what it once was, a neighborhood treasure. In 1998, Farr bought the building and began restoring the remnants of what once was. It needed some severe TLC, so he started the rebuild on the apartments on the second floor first, which he rented out to people as he was working on the main floor. And then once the second floor was done, Farr started rebuilding the main, the main floor. It took four years for Farr to completely finish the restoration and renovation of the Baraboo Inn. It took hundreds of thousands of dollars, but he was able to transform the fire and water damaged building into a thriving restaurant and bar. And they opened for business again in 2002. That was the year we met. Mm -hmm. So it's super old. While doing the restoration and renovations in the building, Farr had been encountering weird things happening, like weird sounds when he was alone. Uh, he also had complaints from the tenants in the apartments on the second floor while he was working on the main floor. He got complaints of party noises from the first floor and a very forward woman that approached them pretty much any time they were transversing through to leave. Now, what do they mean by very forward woman? Uh, apparently, well, she was she was uh, a, a very big flirt. Okay. She's just very forward. Like, okay. she knew what she wanted. She went after it. I was kind of thinking like Ray Stance in the ghost, first Ghostbusters when uh, the ghost starts undoing his pants is what I was thinking. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. I didn't get, I didn't find any like first person accounts Okay. Of, of this, so I don't I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she was standing there with a titty out. <laughs> you never know. That's forward. Spectral titties. <laughs> Spooky boobs. Anyways, 
It's a class for a free-roaming teddy. <laughs> Stupid. <sighs> Come on, I had to somehow twist yeah, Ghostbusters in there more than once. I know. I haven't done it in a while. You haven't. I'm surprised. Anyway. Once the building was complete and reopened... His staff would come to him throughout their employment there and tell him about the strange things that they were experiencing. And they would state how much it was scaring them. Farr's own sister had worked in the inn when when he owned it. She had a run-in with the spirit and had refused to go into the basement where their office was located from then on. I'm sure if it was like they were doing these executions down there. Yeah, like there's a lot of tragedy in that basement. Far wound up retiring in 2018, and the bar was bought by, okay, there were two names, and I couldn't figure out which one it was. So, a few of the sources that I read said the Food Channel bought this restaurant. Okay. Other sources said the Food Network. So, I'm not positive which one it is. It's a food something. I've never heard of the Food Channel, so maybe... It's the same thing as I, people because potato, potato. And I like I typed I typed in the food channel and it brought up the food network in Google. So I don't know if that was just an oversight. Either way, they have a new owner. It's not a one person named specific owner. It is a entity. Television network. Something. <clears throat> but that's weird. Why would you why would a television network buy an old restaurant? I don't know. So it could be a permanent stop for Flavor Town, I guess. Anyways, <laughs> while there were a lot of tragic events that took place on the property of the Old Baraboo Inn, there were also a lot of good times and celebrations. Everyone that came in stated that the atmosphere was overall, like, warm and welcoming. They never had bad vibes coming in there, but there were some that scare easily that knew the history before going in there and had less of a pleasant time. Oh, yeah, because that's how that usually works. They know that. Yeah. It's like dogs, they can smell your fear. In total, there were said to be as many as 30 spirits that roam that inn. There are two with their own stories, and I'll get into them a little later. Anyone that has seen or felt anything while at the bar have never said it felt like bad energy. More just, like, fun and friendly. Full body apparitions have been seen and photographed. Orbs are often seen floating through the air, sometimes even making contact with the living in their path. Disembodied voices can be heard at night, and there have been numerous EVPs on this. The spirits at the inn are of every gender, but it's mostly the females that are seen. Except for a small group that I'll talk about here in a second. So the next things that I say have been either uh, reported by patrons, staff, uh, photographed, recorded on video, or EVP, or seen with the naked eye. So some things that happen in the inn. In the inn! Lights turn on and off. I feel like that's pretty... That's a pretty... Standard Consistent, yeah. Standard procedure. Standard ghost procedure. (laughs) Correct. Uh, Objects are often found in places they weren't the previous night. Again, standard operating procedure for ghosts. Yep. Doors open and close on their own with no breeze. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so on the second floor... There were reports from the apartments, well, the attendants in the apartments on the second floor, of loud country music and piano music that they can hear blasting from the lower floor when there's nobody there. Sounds that are sexual in nature are often heard from the second floor, coming from the first floor. 
There is a spirit of a female that stays on the second floor, and people believe she is one of the three prostitutes that died there. People that have stayed in the apartments upstairs have said that she, the entity, prefers to be in charge, or at least that's how they have felt. Like, if they took charge of any situation, like, I guess the, the whole energy just kind of didn't feel right to them. Yeah, so she's a dummy ghost, huh? <laughs> a dummy ghost. <laughs> yep. It's said that she likes to tease the living by appearing full-bodied throughout their apartments. Um, she also vocally haunts them. Like, they can hear her speaking to them. She'll say their name. Um, but they can't... Obviously, they don't, they don't see her. Mm. There's also, with the same uh, spirit, that she likes to scare people. So she'll find any random door out your bedroom, your living room, wherever you're at. She'll find the door. And she'll scratch the door and like yell for your name hmm. and that it was so bad for one of the guys that lived in those apartments alone that he wanted moving so main floor full-bodied apparitions of cowboys are often seen in the main tavern numerous voice recordings of these cowboys make it seem as though they have rugged and determined personalities so i don't know if they're just very abrasive or what people feel like they were touched but there won't be anyone around them also standard practice. Mm -hmm. People feel breath on the side of their face like someone's trying to whisper in their ear. In the kitchen, utensils, dishes, and cups fly off the racks. Tupperware has been seen flying through the kitchen like an, like a frisbee. Like they literally just took it and went, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> Brooms have been seen floating across the kitchen on their own. And the cowboys are often seen moving items around or playing frisbee in the kitchen. So maybe that is why, maybe the people that are like outside of the, in the bar area mm -hmm. can see into the kitchen and they can see the cowboys, like those that have, you know, the in intuition, I guess, to see spirits or whatever. Right. Like maybe they see them flowing, throwing the frisbee. And then the ones that are in the kitchen are like, that thing moved all by itself and they didn't see the cowboys. Right. It could be. There was this thing I had read years ago about an analogy of that, about using two different radios in the middle of the woods and picking up a radio station. Like one's like a higher name brand, the other one's like a knockoff. Of course, the higher name brand is going to get the better reception compared yeah. to the cheap one. So it could be something similar to that. It could be. So for other spirits, there was one spirit that people believe worked at the inn at one point. Often thought to be one of the previous owners or managers, this one plays tricks on the employees. If they seemingly dislike you or don't like your work, work ethic, they'll wait till you walk into the cooler and then they'll slam the door behind you and turn the light off. <laughs> and As if they, where most kitchen staff do that now just to cry. Right. Uh, however, if they do like you, they will reopen the door. Al Capone is said to haunt the bar as well, working with paranormal investigators by answering their questions in EVPs. And I tried to find, like, EVPs or pictures of all the shit that there, all these sources state that there are. Right. I can't find anything. Could be with agreement with them that they can't release that stuff to the public. Oh, it could be. I don't know. The things that take place in the old Baraboo Inn have caused renters to break their leases for the apartment they were renting. And it's also caused employees to quit. They've had numerous paranormal investigation teams out to visit, as well as psychics. They even hold paranormal classes and events at the inn. 
Now, as I stated earlier, there are two spirits that are the most commonly seen and most of the time unknowingly interacted with by patrons. And both of them are named Mary. The first one just goes by the name Mary. Those that have seen her have described her as being very beautiful, like old Hollywood type of beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah. She was an alleged prostitute that died tragically inside the inn in 1903. There have been mediums that reported that they've heard the sounds of a woman crying in the basement, and it is believed to be the cries of this Mary. Farr believes that Mary was sexually assaulted and murdered in the basement. Mary's image has been caught on film and in photos in front of the bar. She is most often seen wearing either red or lighter colored dresses with big earrings and a feather in her hair. She has been seen dancing to The House is Rocking by Stevie Ray Vaughan when it's playing on the jukebox. I know the song. Do you know the song? Probably not. It's probably one of those songs once you hear part of it, you're like, oh yeah, I know, but I keep saying that. And every time I play one of those songs, you're like, no, I've never heard this. No clue. There was a woman at the bar that slipped a note to Far with the list of the names that, with the list of the names of the women that had died on that property. No surprise, the name Mary was on it, as well as the year of her death, which was 1903. Oddly enough, the Stevie Ray Vaughan song that plays is number 1903 in the jukebox. Ooh, spooky. <gasps> Mary also tends to show up when the bar has a living history event. So during those events, they'll have like uh, flapper night or cowboy night to kind of celebrate right. the ghosts that are seen within the building. And she always shows up for those parties. The second Mary is referred to as Miss Mary. She is another one of the spirits at the old Baraboo Inn. Miss Mary was a school teacher while she was living, but now as a spirit, she resides in the basement of the inn. But now as a spirit, she resides in the basement of the inn. It's believed that she looked after the younger children that passed through when the inn was still the Bender House, or hotel. At the turn of the 20th century, the kids had probably attended school in that building. School books have been found in the basement, and a portion of the alphabet has been found numerous times being written in like children's handwriting on the bottom step evps have been gathered of a little girl singing her abcs and there have even been a lot of reports from patrons stating that they've heard children singing happy birthday or calling for mommy two mediums visited the inn in 2012 and made contact with miss mary the mediums stated that miss mary told them she died in her early 30s due to an illness so she wasn't murdered they also asked her why she still hangs around the inn and miss mary replied back to them it is here where i feel most alive yeah so with that i have just a couple of so there was no mention of the third mary that's there bloody mary jesus christ (laughs) you know tanji's fucked in a celery stick man i'm on fire today with terrible jokes I'm like, wait a minute. Did I say there were three Marys? I'm like, no. I'm pretty sure they. I knew it. I knew I would get you with it. Fucker. <laughs> Anyways, the old Baraboo Inn has been investigated and appeared on Hometown Horror on the Travel Channel. And it's also been listed in the top 10 most haunted in America by the Food Network. Which makes me wonder if it's not the Food Network. I'm pretty that sure them. it is. Because if. Google automatically redirected you to the Food Network. It probably more than likely is. So maybe I won't say yes, because if I'm wrong, like, I don't want to discredit the people that actually own it. You know what I mean? So whoever owns it, sorry. They've participated in numerous haunted bar crawls, 
investigation nights and have an extreme amount of traffic in and out through spooky season, which I can imagine they do. So, yeah, it's the old Baraboo Inn. And I hope one day that we make it out to Circus World. Yeah. And that we can go there for dinner and drink and spooky vibes. What? I still have proud of myself that I got you at the, the Bloody Mary thing. Oh my god, you're still on that bullshit that was so long ago? It was not even five <laughs> minutes ago. It was still great because I'm like, I'm going to fucking get her with this shit. Cause she's yeah, gonna think and she's you got, got a third one. And you got me because I was second guessing whether I fucked up with my oh, numbers. The look on your face told me I fucking had you. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Anyways. So, are you ready to hear about the red ghost of Arizona and the... The possibility of where it came from? I am ready to hear about the red ghost of Arizona and the possibility of where it came from. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> so, obviously, I'm going to start off with the legend of the red ghost and then give a possible ex- explanation of where it came from. This could be, the explanation could be an episode in itself, but I'm going to give a brief overview of it because I'm sure you aren't going to be curious on what that is when I get to that part. Probably. In 1883, two ranchers would leave their home along Eagle Creek in southern Arizona to check on their herd while their wives stayed on the homestead with their children. Even though this was near the end of the Apache Wars, renegade bands of warriors would keep isolated ranchers under siege at all times, basically. Okay. While these men were away, one of the wives would head to a nearby spring to fetch water while the other remained at the house with their children. This is where the woman still at the homestead would have her attention drawn by the barking dogs, and that's when she would see the red ghost. A huge reddish hue beast with cloven hooves being ridden by a devilish rider strapped to its back, quickly locking and barricading the door to protect her and the children, and waited outside praying hysterically that this beast would leave their home. Even though hearing the screams from the other woman collecting water, she was too terrified to go outside to investigate what happened. As night fell on the ranch, the men would return home and hear the story of the ready-colored beast ridden by a devil. The men would then go out with torches in hand to investigate the ranch to see what they to see what they could find of this beast. No giant red beast that would be known as Red Ghost was found, but what they did find was the body of the first woman nearly trampled flat in hoof prints twice the size of a horse's hoof print in the mud surrounding the body. Holy shit. Along with tufts of fur that were red in color in the thickets around the area. The coroner from Solomonsville, Arizona was highly suspicious of their story. At first, if it wasn't for the horribly battered state this woman's body was in and the remarkable size of the hoof prints, he would be convinced that she was murdered by her own family. In the end, her death was considered death in an unknown manner, as the Mojave County Minor newspaper reported. Two days later, two prospectors panning for gold several miles northeast of Eagle Creek would wake up in the middle of the night when their tent comes crashing down on them in the middle of of their sleep. They heard a loud scream and then the sound of hoofs pounding away from them. They too would find red hair and giant hoof prints like those they did in Eagle Creek days earlier. As the legend of the red ghost began to grow in the area, so did the tales surrounding it. One person said they saw it eat a grizzly bear, another claimed to chase it down and it disappeared into thin air right before their eyes, and it also became to be about 30 feet tall at one point. 30 feet? Mm-hmm. That's a huge bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing was always certain about the red ghost. They would always find red hair and see a skeleton rider strapped to its back. Everybody rider. saw the skeleton rider strapped to its back. Of yeah. course. Witnessed the red ghost. An unknown cowboy even tried to lasso and capture the red ghost, but was nearly killed by it when it charged him in his mount. 
before the red ghost ran off, he too would see a skeleton strapped to its back. The red ghost would even escape a group of five miners that took their shots at it, even though either just grazing the beast or at all, or all their shots just missed altogether. Except for the head of the rider would fall to the ground and tufts of flesh and hair were still attached when the miners went to go investigate what they saw fall off the red beast. Huh. For several more years, the red ghost would terrorize the people of Eagle Creek and those surrounding the area until Zoo Hastings got the upper hand on it while it was grazing on his tomatoes and shot it and shot and killed the beast in one shot. The red ghost's reign of terror on Eagle Creek and the surrounding area to an end. Upon closer inspection of the beast with scarring on its body from tight leather straps, it was discovered that the red ghost was actually just a camel. It is unknown as to why a man was strapped to a camel's back here in the United States during the late 1800s, but one belief of this was that the camel's skeleton rider was originally a gold rush prospector tied himself in hopes that the camel would take him to water, which actually more likely sealed his fate more than saving his life because camels are able to go up to 15 days without needing water. Oh. Camels will use the fat stored in their humps for energy when food and water are scarce. The second tale of why this man was strapped to the camel's back is actually the more plausible reason why. Okay. That this skeleton or devilish rider was actually a soldier from the shortly lived U.S. Cam- Army Camel Corps trying to learn how to ride a camel when it bolted off. I mean, yeah, that would make sense. Mm. Either, either, either one could make sense, but probably the latter. Right. Because there's more documentation on the camel cord than there is of anything else. Yeah. In the 1850s, in an experiment by the U.S. Army, Major Henry C. Wayne had had long tried to solve the problem of lack of water on the route from the Mississippi River to California through the desert southwest. In 1855, Major Wayne and others went to Europe and Africa to study the habits of camels in activity. And they eventually end up buying 33 camels in Egypt and Turkey and taking on three Arab handlers. They sailed back to Texas and began training. In the years following the California Gold Rush, the citizens of the United States petitioned the government to build a road west. In 1857, President James Buchanan appointed Edward Beale to survey and build a 1,000-mile road from Fort Smith, Arkansas to California. Beale was already well known at the time from his exports during the Mexican-American War, as well as his trip bringing the first gold nugget from California to Washington, D.C., his task was further complicated by the requirement to bring along 25 camels to test as pack animals in the southwestern deserts. When the exotic beast pulled, pulled an express wagon into Los Angeles in December 1857, a newspaper headline read, The Camels Are Coming. Their approach, was made, their approach made quite a stir among the native population of Los Angeles because more than likely none of them had ever seen a camel. Right. The article told how the camels were content to forage on cactus, could live well with where domestic animals would die, and could pull a load over a mountain where mules balked. In 1859, the group passed by El Maro for the second time on their journey back. Edward Beale, P. Gilmer Beckenridge, E. Penn Long, and F. Engle Jr. were all part of the group. We now refer to as the U.S. Army Camel Corps. All inscribed their name on the rock known as El Maro. Okay. Camp Verde fell into Confederate hands at the beginning of the Civil War in 1861, and all the camels fell into disuse. There isn't any evidence to be found if the Confederates used these camels in any capacity during the Civil War, but the Confederate Army did issue a receipt to the United States for 12 mules, 80 camels, and two Egyptian camel drivers. When the Union soldiers took back Camp Verde, it was estimated that more than 100 camels now occupied the camp. 
After the war, most of the animals were sold at auction. Some ended up in zoos, circuses, while others simply just escaped and roamed wild through the United States Southwest. That's so weird. As late as the early 1900s, sightings of feral camels were still being reported from Mexico to Arkansas. Feral camels. But if you go to Quartzsite, Arizona today, there is a monument to one of the camel corps drivers named High Jolly. High Jolly was born in Philip Tedro until he converted to Islam and making his pilgrimage to Mecca, taking on his Islamic name, Haji Ali. His name would be butchered by the American dialect at the time and would be known as High Jolly and be forever remembered by this name. Haji Ali stood out from the rest of the writers because of his ambition and cantankerous attitude. It was also said that Haji Ali would be so feisty that he would drive camel-driven carriages right through a picnic if he wasn't invited to it. Haji Ali would pass in December of 1902 and was very popular with the locals of Quartzsite, Arizona, and they would erect a pyramid monument on his gravesite made of petrified wooden quartz. At the apex of the nine-foot-tall pyramid is a silhouette of a camel that was added by the Arizona Highway Department. Along with this camel, there would be a bronze plaque added in a vault that contains the ashes of the last known camel from the camel corps known as Old Topsy. Aww. The bronze plaque reads, The last camp of High Jolly, born somewhere in Syria. About 1828, died at Quartzsite, December 16th, 1902. Came to this country February 10th, 1856. Camel driver, backpacker, scout, over 30 years of faithful aid to the U.S. government in Arizona. Highway Department, 1935. In 2011, High Jolly's gravesite would be added to the National Historic Places Registry. Huh. And it's actually quite interesting to see it, because it's just like in the middle of the desert in this very small cemetery, like the rest of the headstones are flat along the ground, and then there's just this giant nine foot tall pyramid made of petrified wood and stone. Jeez, I'll have to look at it. Yeah, and of course, I'm gonna post a picture of it. And then there's yeah. a metal cutout of the camel that's on top. That's the red ghost, and where they possibly came from. I was see in my head when you were talking about the red ghost, I was thinking like a bull, right? Because you said its hooves were bigger than a horse, and those definitely are, right? Uh. Not a bull. It's a camel. That's crazy. Yeah. And I have never heard anything about Camel Corp. That's just a brief overview of the Camel Corps. I mean, like I said, it could be its own episode. Like, I was going to do it in Memorial, uh, not Memorial Day, in, Mar- in May. Uh-huh. But, you know, I took a hard left turn for something that I felt was a lot more important. And yeah. A lot of people got angry because we, we made them feel the feels on part three towards the end. Oh, no. Sorry. Not sorry. Yeah. I don't know how people have told me that. It started crying when the name started getting read off. Yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. I've never heard, never, like, the red... The red go- ghost? The red ghost, yeah. Sorry. I was going to call it the red beast, but I knew that <laughs> wasn't what you called it in the beginning. Yeah, like, one of the biggest reasons why they didn't... Why they wanted to do this is because the maintenance would be lower on camels because of how much water and feed horses would actually require. So, okay, my question is, save. Say that the first instance that you said was the correct one, that it was somebody journeying along, strapped to its back, you know, hoping it would get it to water. Why would they not... Why would they send people through the desert with camels? Like, they are the slowest fucking animals. Because they actually can carry more weight than horses. I understand that. But not when you have a person strapped to their back that you know will run out of their supplies like i mean they could have cut the camel camel hump i guess to get water no it's not there's no water in there 
I thought you said they store it in their No, home. they store fat when food and water are scarce. Oh. And then they will use that as energy in their that fat in their hump to oh, gotcha. actually fuel their bodies when there's like no I gotcha. Sources left. And like camels you get most of their moisture water from the vegetation that they eat. I gotcha. Makes sense. It's like I learned also about camels is they actually move both legs on one side at the same time. So they move both legs on the left at the same time and then they do the same thing on the right. Huh. Oh. They also have four camel toes. Thank <laughs> <I'm> God. <laughs> You're welcome. So anyhow, uh, but the camel cord didn't really take off because it was originally ba- the man that originally backed it uh, at the time uh-huh. before the United States split was actually became the Confederate president. So yeah, that was one of the big factors to it, and plus. There's a lot of reports that camels spooked the donkeys and mules, basically another local Well, yeah, camels are huge. Right. It'd be, why not strap it to a fucking, why not strap somebody to a giraffe? Right. I guess, but I also come to think of it, the first pos- possibility, if this person's using a camel, they should know better that how that camel's not going to need that much food and water, and that was oh, a super high risk for them to do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. We weren't there. Correct. So. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It was right before you were born, right? Yeah, just right after you were born. No. You're older than me. Just saying it may be it ended right after you were born. Okay. Ha! <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. I think it's time we close up the shop today. What do you think, David? I agree. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, no, we're doing this the right way. Okay. <laughs> you look so episode. confused. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so I think it's time we close the Emporium up for the day, sir. What do you think, even though this is a super short episode this week? It is, and it's okay. They don't always have to be right. long, and I agree. It's time to go. So until next time. Remember to creep it real. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Please check out our website at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. One of the mobsters that frequented, one of the mobsters that frequented, the fuck, what the fuck? <laughs> My Tourette's kicked in. Frequented, fuck. <laughs>